Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. For years, we focused on disruption, giving huge credit to companies that upended industries with big new ideas. But sometimes staying the course is just as daring and successful. I'm Alex Ewell. Welcome to The Readback. This season, we're doubling down on the past, jumping further back to the archives of Barron's to explore why companies, ideas, and industries thrived, even as others failed to meet their promise. In our frenetic news cycle, those stories are quickly forgotten, but their lessons are vital for our future. Today on the show, Nintendo's slow-moving evolution and what it says about customer loyalty, corporate conservatism, and playing the long game. We're going to start this story at a strange moment in time that you might remember. I love Pokemon Go, right? I love it! Pokemon Go! We know a lot of you downloaded over the weekend. It was one of the most popular and lucrative video games back in the 90s. Now, a new edition has become a massive hit. The quest to catch them all continues. Take a look at this crowd. This is unbelievable. Of Pokemon Go users mobilizing into action. Back in 2016, Pokemon Go felt like it had taken over the world. A few days after its launch, the app had more users than Twitter, by some estimates, and it was sucking up more smartphone time than Facebook. I would see crowds acting strangely on the street, and you immediately knew what they were doing. Museums had to warn people to leave their Pokemon quests at the door, and Nintendo's stock was jumping. Shares of Nintendo have been soaring due to the Pokemon Go phenomenon, the new smartphone game that is sending millions into the streets to catch virtual monsters, has boosted Nintendo's market cap by $9 billion in only a few days. But Pokemon Go actually wasn't a Nintendo game. It was created by a company called Niantic. They were the ones that partnered with the Pokemon company. Pokemon was just partly owned by Nintendo. So yes, Nintendo benefited, but it wasn't exactly calling the shots. The reason that I even bring this up is everyone assumed Pokemon Go's success would finally push Nintendo to go all in on mobile. Think Donkey Kong, Mario, Zelda, all on your smartphone. Everyone loved those characters, but until now, they only showed up on pricey devices made exclusively by Nintendo. Imagine how much money the company would make once it started selling games on a phone that everyone already had. In 2015, I wrote a barren story highlighting just how massive Nintendo's opportunity in mobile could be. And for a while, everything went according to plan. Well, it's finally happened. Nintendo is going mobile. After years of saying you'd never see Mario on an iPhone, Nintendo has revealed that it's partnering with mobile giant DNA to bring Nintendo properties to smartphones and tablets. They started quite well. They were planning all these major IPs and wanted to convert into games. That's Atul Goyal. He's the managing director of Equity Research with Jefferies. You're going to hear that term, he says, IP, a lot throughout this episode. It stands for intellectual property, And for a company like Nintendo, it means the characters, the fantasy lands, the stories. I interviewed Atul back in 2015, and he was excited about the company's departure from 30 years of making games exclusively for its consoles. Just a note before we go on. In finance, there are lots of bold calls. But too often, we fail to follow up or look back at what was said. Barron's is almost a century old. 
so we have a lot of experience making those calls. And that's what we're going to focus on with this show. Where we were right, where we were wrong, and what we can learn from it all. And how better to do it than actually reading back from our old stories. Here's what a tool told me back then. In two years' time, it's not impossible that Nintendo could have five of the top 10 mobile games. So back in 2015, that was my view. And the company was committed to growing mobile games. Atul was one of Wall Street's most bullish analysts back then. He thought Nintendo stock was worth more than double its price at the time. He's looked very prescient. Even though the company did launch four or five games, they haven't been serious. So the call, as far as the stock price goes, worked, but it worked for a different reason. The mobile actually didn't happen. So Nintendo never made five of the top 10 games, or really even one of the top 10 games. Mario showed up on our phones, but the experience was curtailed. It was clear Nintendo's heart just wasn't in smartphones. To understand why, let's go back a few decades. You know, by 1989 in the United States, one in three households here in America had a Nintendo Entertainment System. It was that popular, and I was one of those three households. That's Blake Harris. He's the author of Console Wars, a book on the history of Nintendo and Sega, and a big Nintendo fan himself, to say the least. I distinctly remember going into the den and my brother and I sort of giving the childhood equivalent of a PowerPoint presentation, you know, saying that we would combine our Hanukkah gifts and our birthday gifts and do whatever chores we needed to do to get the Super Nintendo. And my parents, very much like many parents back at the time in 1991, said no. Blake eventually got that Nintendo, and his love for the company was so strong it inspired him to dig deep into its history for his book. And there was a lot to cover. Nintendo's a company that's been around since 1889. It was founded by Fusajiro Yamauchi. Fusajiro Yamauchi was a Japanese entrepreneur who back then started by producing Hanafudo cards, these carefully hand-decorated Japanese playing cards. It was a risky business. Blake says they were first mainly used in smoky gambling dens. But Yamauchi understood how to take advantage of a crucial moment when the cards were legalized. And over the next 60 years, they became incredibly popular. In the 1950s, they really started to expand and diversify their business under Hiroshi Yamauchi, who presided over the company for the next 50 years. Under his leadership, Nintendo struck a deal with Walt Disney to add American cartoon characters to the playing cards. And by 1963, it had gone public. To this day, you can still feel Disney's influence in Nintendo games. They're whimsical, wholesome, and painstakingly detailed. But Nintendo experimented plenty before it landed on its ultimate strategy. Nintendo got into all sorts of different businesses, sort of most famously a pay-by-the-hour love hotel. And they also started doing all sorts of different toys. In the interest of time, I'll fast forward a little bit. The one thing that Nintendo had, regardless of the ups and downs of the Hanufuku card business or the whims of whether love hotels or these other inventions worked out was they had this incredible distribution network because they had been selling these playing cards for 60 years. And that really put them in a position to excel with video games. And that advantage put Nintendo in a great place as video game arcades took off in the late 1970s. I spent a lot of time in arcades in the 80s, as did my friends. It was our Fortnite and our Netflix, and it all happened at the mall. Nintendo laid the groundwork early in the decade with the release of Donkey Kong, 
it would become one of the most popular arcade games of all time. In the game, Donkey Kong throws barrels and fireballs down at another character trying to make his way to the top. That little guy wears red overalls and a cap, and even has a mustache. He's called Jumpman, but you might know him better as... It's me, Mario! Super Mario became Nintendo's version of Mickey Mouse. He showed up again and again across every console Nintendo has ever made. He's still going strong. And it's all thanks to that first cameo in Donkey Kong. What made Donkey Kong such a big hit? If there was an answer to that, you would be uh, very wealthy in the the game business. You know, it's it's hard to say what makes something successful. But at the time, you know, what really separated Donkey Kong from other games was the game mechanics. That's another thing that Nintendo is sort of famous for. We often think about games in terms of story, you know, coming up with the story, coming up with the characters, and coming up with the setting, and building it out that way. Whereas Nintendo, historically, has focused on creating new game mechanics and then working backwards to figure out what's the story, what's the gameplay that would make this game mechanic the most fun for people to play. These were the seminal years for Nintendo. Arcades are basically gone today, but Nintendo is more popular than ever. It just shows that what has always sustained Nintendo through the ups and downs of their hardware business is their incredible IP, their incredible software. In other words, for Nintendo, it's always been about the games. And that's an important point. Remember that Nintendo doesn't just make software. It's also a maker of hardware, like the consoles you play your favorite games on. It's been a power player there as well. Nintendo really became the company we know today when it released the Nintendo Entertainment System in 1983. What will the future bring from Nintendo? More hits like Super Mario Brothers. The console went on to sell 62 million units across the world. And you can play them only on the Nintendo Entertainment System. Video game consoles are a great business. When they hit. Nintendo has had its share of success and failure over the years. Take the Nintendo Wii. It was a game changer, quite literally. It brought a whole new group of people to video games. Those motion controllers were the ultimate party trick. Games like Wii Tennis appeal to everyone from young kids to baby boomers. But gaming technology eventually gets stale, and Nintendo had a hard time recreating its Wii success. In fact, the follow-up nearly killed the company. Let's go back to 2012. Here's Blake again. Nintendo had the Wii. That was an incredible success. Then they followed that up with the Wii U, which I'm still not sure a lot of people know about. In part, I think it was just terrible naming. Beyond the problems with the name, the Wii U was a flop, becoming one of Nintendo's worst-selling consoles ever, and severely disappointing gamers. After the major success of the Wii, combined with the rise of games on smartphones and tablets, it just wasn't exciting enough. It sort of wanted to be a handheld device and a console at the same time, You could see the game on the screen itself as opposed to on your television, but it only worked when it was within like 10 feet of the console. Another problem was that the Wii U couldn't attract top developers, the folks who actually make games. It became a vicious cycle, because without better games, no one wanted to buy the console, and on and on. When you have a hardware product, you need other developers, you need other software makers to come to your field and play ball, and Nintendo has not always been the friendliest company, and they were unable to get a lot of third-party developers to come to the Wii U. It was clear. Nintendo needed to shake things up to rebound from the failure of the Wii U. They have one of the best and most attractive video game IP library in the world. That's a tool, again, the Jeffries Analyst. 
Back in 2015, when we talked about Nintendo's comeback plan, a new console barely entered the conversation. For a tool, the future was all about mobile. Why take the risk of building another new gaming system when consumers had everything they needed right inside their pocket? And given the history of the video game industry, Blake agrees. Your prior success is almost irrelevant. Every time you introduce a new console or every time competitors introduce a new console, the battle sort of starts from scratch. So when Atul assigned his bullish buy rating to Nintendo beginning in 2013, it was all built around the idea of the company finally evolving. Being mobile first would be one more game changer for Nintendo and the stock. And it would return the focus to the one thing that really mattered, great characters. They were planning all these major IPs and wanted to convert into games. Aside from Disney, there's no other company that has as many iconic, lovable characters as Nintendo. For years, the company has used them in games, but it's never fully embraced their potential. Imagine theme parks, Netflix shows, just like Marvel and every other Disney property. Zelda is one of the most famous games of all time. An enterprising showrunner could run with that and create the next Game of Thrones. But Nintendo is obsessed with creative control, and that's limited its ambitions. Nintendo is so protective with their IP, and they are protective in a way that they rarely want to allow anything to happen with that software or with that IP that doesn't involve their full control of the process, including the hardware. Sort of a breakthrough moment for me was realizing how similar Nintendo was to Apple in just sort of being this closed system that wants to control every facet and people on the outside and people who have been snubbed by them feel like they're monopolistic and controlling, but those of us who use the product appreciate that top to bottom, start to finish control of the process because everything does work seamlessly together. To be fair, the company did try mobile. You might have played Mario Run or Dr. Mario World, for example, on your iPhone or Android. Both games were oddly handicapped, though. It was clear Nintendo is saving its firepower. And that brings us to... The Switch. Nintendo Switch is a video game system for the home. You connect it to the TV to play games. When 2017, they launched Switch. Prior to that, I was not sure if the hardware would work or not. But at the moment they launched it, it became clear that it would be a winner. Winner might be an understatement. The Switch, as the name suggests, can go from portable device to home console and back. And it took off from the start. It was one of the fastest-selling consoles in history, and it helped Nintendo recover from the disaster that was the Wii U. It sold three times as many Switches in its first two years than the Wii U sold in five. And on the software side, it's also been a huge hit, selling over 400 million games as of June. The latest example is Animal Crossing New Horizons, a life simulation built around adorable little animals, which was released in March. Video game critics called it the perfect escape during the COVID-19 quarantine. It had cross-appeal for gamers and non-gamers, just like the original Wii and Pokemon Go. It was Nintendo at its best. Since Animal Crossing's release, Nintendo's stock is up 53%. That's great news for any Nintendo fan. But for a tool, the longtime Nintendo bull, it's actually a reason for worry. The better the Switch performs, the less motivated Nintendo gets to fix its mobile problems. They have stepped away from mobile because Switch is doing exceptionally well. And that is now my concern. A victory in one side is actually not giving them enough confidence to go all in on mobile. Instead, they're holding back. In fact, they're not just holding back. The company has all but abandoned its short-lived mobile strategy. 
Nintendo is reportedly retreating from the mobile gaming market and has no new mobile games in development. A Bloomberg report indicates that Nintendo is underwhelmed by its mobile games' financial performance and will be focusing on making games for its own Switch console. This follows the huge success- Even as Nintendo sees tremendous success from the Switch, a tool is worried about what comes next. The Switch is now three years old, and that's middle age for a console. If Nintendo's recent history holds, it could struggle with the follow-up. And while reports indicate that the company is now considering a Switch upgrade next year, by then, Nintendo will be dealing with competition from Sony and Microsoft, which have all new consoles set for a holiday 2020 release. Going forward, if they don't put enough focus on the new platforms, which I think currently is still mobile and in the next five to 10 years could be cloud, then they would be left out, despite having probably the best IP that can be monetized on any platform. Smartphones aren't going away, but there's no guarantee the Switch and consoles generally will stick around. So why isn't Nintendo planning for the future? Isn't that how you build a durable business? Maybe, but it's just not the Nintendo way. And in some ways, it's hard to argue with 100 years of history. Here's Blake one more time. Their approach isn't, how can we make the most money possible? Because that approach would take them to other consoles and to other operating systems, like especially in mobile. But they have chosen not to do that. And that's often why they've had this, this cyclical boom and bust process, because they put all their eggs into these baskets that they're making. I find this fascinating, because Wall Street is built around companies trying to maximize their revenue and their profits. And here you have a company that's been so successful, but is still holding itself back. I would be frustrated as an analyst or an investor, but Nintendo had this slow, methodical approach and this mentality of not worrying so much about winning the battle, but instead focusing on winning the war. This was the first episode of our new season of The Readback. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. Thanks to Atul Goyal and Blake Harris. And for more coverage on Nintendo, you can always check out Barron's.com. I'm Alex Ewell. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoff and Katie Ferguson. Our executive producer is Melissa Haggerty. We'll be back next week. The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com Claude.